to be back and uh, it's great to be a part of the conference my question is he's going to have another small church conference next week next year right but what if this church is not a small church next year he may have to change it to medium-sized church meeting next year and then (laughs) but it was good i appreciate you doing that and it's needed so many times uh, preachers go to large conferences with large ministries and and I did that when I planned the church, you know, down in Florida years ago. And, and uh, came, I always came back excited, but I couldn't do much of what they taught us to do uh, because it was large church, you know, implementation. Like, you know, if you want to uh, witness and, and reach your community, make sure you have two assistant pastors over this part and this part. And I'm like, listen, I'm the, I'm the pastor, the assistant, the plumber, the, you know, I, I am all it. I can't do all those things. So I appreciate the emphasis on small church. And in God's eyes, there is no small church, right? There is the church, and the church is. And we talked about that yesterday. God's hand is upon the churches that are uh, seeking Him and serving Him and uh, worshiping Him. Also, thank you for supporting our ministry and praying for Baptist Church Planting Ministry. We just finished our last church plant we were part of. was in Leewood, Kansas, north of, or excuse me, south of Kansas City. And the reproducing church, the mother church, was in Topeka, Kansas. And they had a deacon there that uh, felt led to go into the ministry. So they trained him right there, and then they sent him out. But not just sent him out, uh, they reproduced their church. So they came over and helped do all the evangelism and the opening meetings, and then they, they support him heavily, and then they send people over to help with their Sundays, and they include him with their outreaches, and they just printed material. They're, you know, uh, I have three boys, and we never, uh, never once did we even have a temptation that after we received the baby, you know, in the hospital, that we would just put him out on the street corner and say, I hope you make it. It was a living, breathing baby, and we're going to help that baby, Right. Well, when you start a church, you're a living, breathing organism, the church. And so there needs to be other churches, specifically a a reproducing mother church that helps uh, cultivate and nourish that baby like you did here and so on. So we're excited. 176 independent Baptist churches now that we have helped and uh, 11 different countries. We were in Italy this last year and in Portugal with Mark Pereira the year before that and uh, other countries as well. Uh, Of those churches, um, 92% are still in existence after 26 years. And those churches that are existing uh, not only have started uh, making efforts to reproduce other baby churches, but collectively they give over $4.2 million a year to missions. And that's really God's plan, to to make disciples... But if you make disciples, you're also going to not only reproduce Christians, you're going to reproduce churches. It's just going to happen. And so I appreciate the ministry here and your pastor's heart to support missionaries that are reproducing churches and reproducing disciples all over the world. And God will bless and honor the church that does that. Well, we're in the book of Philippians. Book of Philippians. And by the way, I do appreciate you taking an offering. That's not why I'm here. I didn't know he was going to do that, but I appreciate that. Um, Our ministry, the support we receive uh, and the funds that come in through our annual seed bank offering uh, for every dollar that is given to our ministry 
it multiplies to $13 on average in reaching through worldwide missions. And so that's a great investment, and we appreciate that. Uh, every church that we are part of, we invest over $4,000 in uh, printed material like the John Romans, delivery and all that, but also the travel and all that, that takes place. We don't ask a dime from these churches. We don't believe that uh, baby churches ought to pay for their birth. I have three boys, and I'm rethinking that now. <laughs> Two of them are in college, and I'm like, man, in the fields they're going in, they could pay for their birth. They could pay for everything we put. We invested probably over a million dollars in each child. I don't know, I may be inflating that a little bit, but nonetheless, uh, it'd be great. But we don't do that as parents, and we, our ministry is never charged or asked a church to support us, uh, but many of them do, like you do, and we appreciate that. But every dollar comes in, turns into $13 in worldwide missions. It's an investment into these new churches. And you can always go to our website, see future church plants, past church plants. We have listed every year for the last 26 years the churches we have helped. Uh, you'll see uh, future church plants. Uh, we try to put out in our letters well ahead of time the churches that we are working on and uh, when the dates are and who the pastors are. And so you can pray about that. And, uh, if, and I know your pastor is wanting to go to Portugal to help Mark Pereira, and uh, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. That's, that should be done. And hopefully he can do that and his wife. Maybe sometime you could take a group and do the same. And uh, we do that. Every, usually every foreign church plant that we're a part of, normally there's not enough churches in the area of the missionary to, to effectively evangelize and reach their area and so uh, in a concentrated effort. And so we'll take groups with us to, uh, to walk on average 10 miles a day with uh, 30 pounds of John Romans on their back and, you know, and, and cobblestone roads and up and down. It's exhausting. We usually do between 40 to 50,000 John Romans uh, when we go into a project like that, usually over the course of four or five days. And by the time we're done, we are exhausted. The good thing about European countries is you can always refuel on espresso. They have it everywhere. And Mark, Mark Prayer fed us three times a day, and every time they fed us, they had espresso. <laughs> and uh, so we literally ran on that uh, until our joints gave out. <laughs> and espresso won't help your joints, trust me. Uh, but, we have it, but hopefully maybe one day you can help us in one of those projects. That'd be great. We're in the book of Philippians, and Philippians was written as Paul... Uh, the Apostle Paul was in jail, and at least house uh, uh, jail in Rome. He's writing the church at Philippi. He's comforting them uh, because, uh, be because he was in jail and he was in captivity. Um, the church at Philippi, this young little church, is having a hard time with that. Uh, it's having a hard time that there's persecution and they're having a hard time, you know, uh, should we stand for Christ or should we kind of hide out in our little church and really not let everybody know that we're here and that Jesus died for everyone? So he writes to this young church and he says in verse um, number 12, he said in verse chapter 1 of Philippians, chap chapter 1, verse 12, he says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And so Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, listen, you may think 
that this is terrible, that I'm in prison, that this has happened to me. But I'm telling you, it was of God. And, it, and me being in prison has helped further the gospel. I'm able to witness to other people in prison. I'm able to witness to the guards who are watching me. I'm able to witness, and we find by the time we get to the end of Philippians, he talks about the Christians in Caesar's household that have been reached. People who have been reached through him being in prison all the way into Caesar's household. Some people believe, historians some believe, that because of Paul's imprisonment there in Rome, and because he wanted to go to Rome so badly, meant that it opened the door for Christianity into modern-day Europe. We know that that's true in some aspect. I don't know how much weight we can put on that, but definitely God used Paul's imprisonment not only to reach people there in Caesar's household and in prison, but it multiplied into making disciples and churches all the way into modern-day Europe. And so he writes and he wants to comfort them and say, listen, stay together. No matter what's going on in your city and in, uh, in, in the nation now, in the country, stay together. Continue the purpose for what you are meeting for. You are to edify each other, you're to grow each other, but you're also to reach others with the gospel. And so we get down to chapter 1, and he gets to a verse that I'm going to use as our main text this morning. And he gets to a verse that I think we all need. And we need it badly. We need it daily. Politicians talk about it often, especially this year. And our country needs it. But specifically, our church needs it. My marriage needs it. My family needs it. And we have to revisit it often. Because if we're not careful, we won't have it. And if we don't have this, God will not bless. I did a, I did a study uh, a few years ago, and I went through the, uh, the whole Bible, and I studied this one topic. It's a topic of unity. Unity. Being of one mind, of one accord. And I studied that topic throughout the whole Bible, and I thought, well, okay, what can we find here? And I've never heard anything preached on it. I've heard, I've heard verses with those words used in certain messages and so on. But I've never heard a whole series. I, I made an eight-part series out of it. And so I'm going to preach all eight parts in the next 30 minutes. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I found out that if you study it out through the Bible, unity, being of one mind, uh, one accord, in God, okay? That's the important part. In Christ. Being unified in Christ. Um, you'll never unify everyone in the church about what type of car to buy. Won't happen. There are people here who are diehard Toyota people. That's me. I am. It doesn't mean I won't buy another car. It just means I love Toyota. That's just me. I grew up and I saw the difference. My, my, my parents had Dodges and they had Chevys and they had Ford. And I grew up, most of my family worked for GM up in Indiana. They were I, GM country. So when I showed up with a fern car, man, I was almost tarred and feathered. But my fern car has lasted a lot longer. But nonetheless, I won't get into that. We'll never unify. Uh, we'll never unify on what kind of car to have. Uh, you'll never unify unify on what color do you think the church should be. Uh, you'll never unify on uh, uh, necessarily on uh, you know what you want for lunch or what the best type of coffee or whatever. You know, people are Starbucks, people are Dunkin' Donuts, people are 
you know, this and that. You know what? None of that matters in Christ. None of it. But if we're in Christ, there's a special bond. There's a special unity. And if you look in the Old Testament, when they were one together, the, the Israelites, when we, you see families of the Old Testament and so on, then you get into the New Testament, when you see the Christians being unified in the Lord and so on, when they are all together, when they are serving the Lord together, when they're unified, you see a couple of things. You see the hand of God, and you see the power of God, and you see the provision of God. And if you're not unified, you don't see that. You see, when sin enters the camp in the Old Testament, God's hand is removed for a while. Uh, in the New Testament, you see, when there's lying in the church, they have to deal with it. Uh, we're going to see some of that this morning and this afternoon in the uh, brief uh, message this afternoon. But when, when you look in the Bible, whenever you see unity, you see God's hand, you see God's power, and you see God's provision. So let's pray and ask God as we jump in and we read this verse and we look at these aspects. Let's ask God to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for this local church and thank you, dear Lord, for how you have blessed it through the thick and the thin. And your blessing doesn't always mean numbers and income. It means provision, power. It means a, your hand would be upon it very obviously, which means answers to prayer, victories, we pray, Father, that as this church is six years old, that it would uh, make a decision, this critical decision, to be unified. That your hand and provision and power would be upon it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The verse is chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. The Bible says, Oh, and let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of of Christ. Now let's stop right there. The whole point of being unified, yes, we want God's provision. We're going to see that in a little bit. Yes, we want God's power. We're going to see that as well. But the whole point that he, Paul is making is your way of living needs to reflect who you're unified in. The way that you, your conversation, the way that you talk, the way that you work at, at your job, the way that you maintain your home, the way that you uh, drive, whoops, shouldn't have said that one. Uh, the way that you talk, your conversation, your way of living needs to reflect who you are unified with. So if you say that, hey, I'm a Christian, okay, then does your conversation match that? Well, we are a church. Okay, your church is going to reflect who you're unified around. There are in the past there have been churches built upon a particular preacher, and the whole church acts and mimics that particular man. By the way, uh, that's a mistake. You are to act and mimic Jesus Christ. Amen. You see what I'm saying? Your your conversation, your way of living is going to mimic who your heart is after, who you are trying to be unified with. And so uh, if, you're, if you love football and football is your God and whatever, then most of your conversation is going to be all about football. Now, is it wrong to watch football and play football? No, not at all. But that shouldn't be who, you're, you're, who your God is, who you're, who you're uh, unified in. It should be Jesus Christ and His gospel. That's what it says. That's what He says. Let your conversation 
be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, he goes on and says that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. When I was about nine years old, my parents divorced when I was six. My dad stayed on the farm in Indiana where I was born, and my mom moved to Sarasota, Florida. And I remember when I was six years old, about to turn seven, they pulled my, my brother and I, I only have one brother, into the courtroom, and uh, they separately asked us who we wanted to live with. And I chose my mom, and my brother chose my dad, and off we went. And so I moved to Sarasota, Florida very quickly. And, but in the summers, I would fly up to be with my, my uh, dad on the farm and stay there, and then school year and fly down to be with my mom. I was a snowbird, didn't know it. And uh, <laughs> still uh, got my wings from Delta. I've always flown Delta, you know, all those years, and uh, still do. And uh, I fly other airlines, too. That's a preference. I understand that. Uh, but I remember back in those days, we were on the tarmac one time, and they gave me the little wings. Anybody remember those, the wings, David Hanna? And they said, you know, if any of the kids want to come up and, and throttle the plane here on the tarmac, you can. So you know, the cockpit was wide open, and I remember going up there, and I thought, Woo, no. <laughs> I thought, Woo, and the plane started. I thought that was great. I'm flying up to see my dad. Uh, one summer, I think I was nine years old, my brother and I were up in this big, big tree. We didn't have a ladder to get up there. And uh, like brothers are, he went down and took the ladder with him. And I was yelling, you know, my brother Chad, Chad, bring the ladder back, bring the ladder, you know. And, and so he went on in the house. And here I was up in the tree, and it was a good 20 feet up in the tree. It was a good 20 feet. We had to have that long ladder to get up, first limb, 20. And I, we were up there. And so I had this idea, I'm just going to hang and then just drop to my feet. I mean, I, you know, I've jumped off a roof before, a one-story roof, and, you know, I'm still alive to talk about it, and I could probably just drop. And uh, the problem is when I dropped, I started to turn in the air, and I put my arm out, and when I hit the root of the tree, it just, my arm snapped, and I broke my arm. Oh, I was rolling around the ground. I was crying. Oh, I was yelling. Well, they heard me then. My brother heard me then. My dad heard me. They came out, and my dad had a jeep, threw me in a jeep, buckled me in, and he took off. I remember that wild ride, because I was just screaming. And he, uh, he got us to the hospital, and they held me down, and they had to set that arm. Ah! I remember the nurses there trying to cover me, and everybody holding me down. All of a sudden, they just set that arm, and I thought, ah! That was the worst pain I've ever heard, felt in my life. I've had appendicitis, and that hurts pretty bad. And, but I'm telling you what, when they had to... Ah, I don't know what was worse, breaking the arm or setting the bone. But when something's out of joint, you know it. And when we're not unified with God, with Christ, we know it. And there are certain signs and there are certain blessings of not being unified and then being unified again. And whether it's our families, our marriages, or the church, God wants us to be of one mind and one accord striving together. So let's define those terms, and let's see what God has to say about it. The first word is accord. Accord. And it's found in, this, uh, in other parts of the Word of God. But look at chapter 2 and verse number 2. He says, just a few verses later, in chapter 2, verse number 2, he says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one 
accord of one mind. If you're taking notes and you just want to take one word down that defines the word accord, it's this, unanimous. Unanimous. It means unanimous in spirit, unanimous in attitude, unanimous in action, decision, and commitment. Unanimous. We find it in other uh, passages, like in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple. They were unanimous. It's not that they didn't uh, have their differences. They did. But when it came time to represent Jesus Christ, they, were, they chose to be unanimous. Uh, there was a uh, pastor friend of mine who took a church in Arcadia, Florida. It's in the middle of Florida. It's a cowboy town, really. It's a lot of agriculture and so on. And uh, he took this old Baptist church, and they had a great spirit the first couple of years. And, uh, but he, he told me this story. He said, uh, we would meet together and discuss things, and there was such a great spirit. But there was one man who kept going against the grain, and when we would all agree on something, he would disagree every time. And he wasn't insane. He was a very sane man and owned his own business at one time and just retired. But every time he made a decision, he, would just, he was a naysayer. And so he took him out to lunch. Didn't take him in the back alley. Took him out to lunch. <laughs> and lovingly, gracefully, he said, Hey, I appreciate you. You're here every service. You even help out around the church. And you go soul winning with us from time to time. And you're just a great help to our church. But I've got to ask you this question. Every time we get together to discuss something, you're always saying no. And he said, Why do you do this? <laughs> and then you know what the man said? He said, Because somebody has to. That was his reasoning. He came from the, he owned his own business and so on. And he, he, he couldn't understand that people could actually all agree together. He's like, that just doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen except for in Christ. You see, there are preferences. There are things that we have our own opinion about. But when it comes time to represent Jesus Christ as a church, Take a step of faith. Uh, take a direction. Uh, do something for the Lord. God requires a unanimous spirit. I didn't know this going into ministry. I just didn't ever hear it. But as you know that God wants a unanimous spirit within any, any meeting that we have. It doesn't mean we say, well, what about this? Or, you know, have you talked about this? Or have you thought about this? But when it comes time to making a decision, there's a unanimous spirit. Now, um, I know that, uh, it, that that doesn't normally happen. I realize that. But I, I, I got to thinking about this. If God is leading the church to do something, and he's in it, and he's the one leading, how can he be leading someone not to do it? That doesn't make any sense. That would be like me telling my three boys, okay, boys, um, I believe that tomorrow we are going to go to the park together. All right, we're going to go have some fun at the park together. And then the next morning I wake up and I go to one of my sons and say, hey, we're all going to the park together. Would you like to go down to the mall today? And he would say, hold on a minute, I thought we were all going to the park. We are, and we're going to go to the mall at the same time. Well, how can that be? 
How can you be? How can you make two different decisions at the same time? Well, God doesn't have two different decisions. He has one decision, and He's trying to stress that here to the church at Philippi: uh, one mind, one accord. And the word accord means being unanimous, being unanimous together. By the way, I do believe in church business. I believe in having business within the church. I believe that uh, having a budget is good and all of that. Okay, I'm not against all that. But if we're not careful, we will business the Holy Spirit right out. See, we have to be people of prayer, seeking the Lord as we make decisions for the Lord. If we're just going to be a business oriented, we might as well just take the word church off and just be a business. If it's all about customers and profit, you might as well go open an ice cream store or a coffee shop or something. But that's not the church. The church only has one business, and that's the Lord's business. And He requires the church to be unanimous, of one accord. The second word is one mind. Or the second word is mind. Mind. And if you will go back, it's also in chapter 2, verse 2, one mind. But go back to verse 27 of chapter 1, and it says with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. The last part of that verse in verse 27. If you're taking notes, what does this word, give me a, a hotel conference room or school or whatever, uh, I, I love doing that type of spiritual scavenger hunt and finding what God's uh, place could be and should be. I'm not saying that a church should have the Taj Mahal. I'm not. And I'm also not saying you ought to find the cheapest, most dilapidated place because buildings don't matter. I think they do matter. I think it matters today that you're comfortably sitting here somewhat, that the plumbing is functional, that the AC and heat is functional, uh, you know, that you don't have to step out in a foot of mud to walk in. You know, there's a lot of good things about a good meeting place. What I am saying is this, whatever place God gives you, whatever service God gives you, you ought to do it with a passion. It ought to be the cleanest it can be, whatever God gives you. Uh, if you're going to lead singing, it ought to be the best you can do. It's better than anything you do at work even. This is, this is the, for the Lord. This is my passion for the Lord. If you're going to preach and study hard, if you're going to pray, pray through it. Uh, if you're going to give to missionaries, then do it with a passion. If you're going to go see a missionary, do it with a passion. You're excited. Why? Because you're representing Jesus Christ and you're furthering His Word and His Gospel and His, and His desire. Here's a couple of verses. Let this mind be, uh, excuse me, Romans 15, 6, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, Finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. As I did this study, it was just unreal. How many verses are in the Bible are being used? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love the brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8. The Bible is full of verses and principles of this area of having the same passion for the Lord. Um. I want my uh, my my second uh, staff member that my assistant is raising his support right now to to work with our ministry, and uh, all of our staff have to do that, and uh, and then we reach a certain point where we've raised all of our support, and then we raise extra support for 
the church plants and the ministry, the general workings of the, all the printing and everything we do for our ministry. And, and so he's not at that point yet. He's still raising his support. So he went into a friend of my, my uh, church to preach on a Sunday, and then he presented the ministry and he left. And uh, the pastor, a friend of mine, uh, he uh, talked to me about it. He said, he said I rate uh, missionaries like vacuum cleaning salesmen. <laughs> I said, what? Now, I'm not saying you should do this, okay? I'm just saying what he told me. He said, he said, if a vacuum salesman came to my door, he could have the best quality, most efficient, best-priced vacuum. But if he's not passionate about his vacuum, I'm not going to buy it. If he doesn't believe in his vacuum, I'm not going to buy it. He could have the best, most efficient, whatever. And we all know that. We all know we're so, there are certain people that could sell us a broken vacuum cleaner for the price of a new one. I mean, there are just people that are good salesmen. I'm not talking about that either. I'm talking about having the passion, the love of Christ in us that throttles us, that fuels us to serve him. And I tell missionaries this all the time. I say, listen, if you're going to get support, you can have a video, you can have your table. You know, listen, you, that's all good. You need all that. You need prayer cards. I said, but listen, if people don't see your heart and your passion for what you're about to do, I said, you might as well go back and work a secular job somewhere. In fact, why even do it? And by the way, that same passion and heart for God will keep them on the field too when times are tough and so on. It's the same passion that will keep a pastor in the same church going forward for the Lord, even though they have to overcome obstacles along the way. Why? Because the love of the Lord shines in my, my heart and life, and I want to serve Him with all my heart and soul. That's what God wants anyhow. So church, where are you with this this morning? Are you just going through the method, uh, going through the rote uh, operations of being a good church member or whatever, a good, or do we have the passion for Christ? By the way, in the world, you don't see a lot of that anymore, do you? You see people that work a job for maybe a year, if so, and then they quit. And then, you know, they, they, you know, I, they, they, get their, they, they go through a little bit of difficulty and they give up. You know what's missing? Some people say, some people call it commitment, you know. They're, they're, people aren't committed anymore. They don't have a good work ethic anymore. They don't, they don't show up for work like they should. They don't, they don't work like they should when they do show up, you know. And good work is hard to find. If it was hard to find 20 years ago, it's really hard to find today. But you know what's really missing is a passion. And in Christendom and with Christians, what's really missing is a passion. A love for the Lord that shows, that reveals in their conversation, their way of living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And God wants that within the local church, within our families, within our marriages, uh, that we have passion one for another, and it shows that our, our main passion is for the Lord. But the third element that he speaks about here, not only the word accord, which means everyone together, unanimous. unanimous. The second one is mind, and what does that mean? Passion. passion. The third is striving. Striving. It's found in verse 27. Striving together for the work of the ministry. What does that mean? If you're to, if you're to write uh, one word for this striving, it would be the word work. That dirty, filthy word that you don't want to hear about on the weekends. Work. Work. Striving together means to work with, to wrestle with, to suffer with, to battle with. 
And in the time in which Jesus, or excuse me, Paul was writing during the, uh, during the day when the Roman Empire ruled the world, when they would go to battle with their shields, they would lock shield to shield. They were locked in step by step as their big shields, as they would go into battle. And only when they came into personal confrontation would they unlock the shield to go to battle. But they would, they, they would first march together into enemy territory, shield to shield. If you've ever seen uh, when a group of uh, Roman soldiers were under fire from every direction, what would they do? They would all take their shields and create some type of barrier dome, and they would lock down together. They, they were trained to do this. That's what striving together talks, is talking about. Not everybody just doing their own thing. No, no. But the church locked arm to arm, heart to heart, willing to work and battle together. We may all have our different areas that we serve within the church and so on, but God's requiring overall that we're locked together, that we're going to, in the same direction together, together with that same passion. By the way, look at verse number 3 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, it says, Fulfill you my joy, verse number, uh, excuse me, verse number 3 of chapter 2 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Do you know what striving is? It's not strifing. When I start, when I was pastoring, and we, we had a couple come in, and they were very militant. He had military background. And he was very militant about things. And he liked militant preaching. And he liked militant pastoring. And I didn't quite, quite fit all of what his <laughs> scenario. He wanted somebody to just bark things out. And everybody said, yes, sir. And, and if you weren't preaching about something controversial, then you weren't preaching. And he didn't last long because that just wasn't, you know, I'm going to preach the Bible. But there's some people that if they don't have strife, then they don't have life. And that's contrary to the Bible. In fact, we're to be praying for all those in authority that we might live a peaceable and quiet life. Christianity isn't about always battling the world and telling the world where they're wrong and where they're sinful and all. No, no, it's about representing Jesus Christ is what it is. Jesus often taught and showed to turn the other cheek. If a man asks you to go the mile, go the extra mile. It's not, there's not, it's not always time to stand up and fight, you know. No, no, it's serving. It's letting your light shine. It's also not being run over by the world. Jesus was very meek. What is that? Controlled anger. But he, he was a human, all God, but he was very meek. He stood for righteousness and he suffered for it. He died on the cross. Paul was suffering for it in prison. We are to, let, we are to stand up for what is right, but we are to not always be strifing, but striving together. And some people believe if there's not issues within the church, then God must not be blessing it. No, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. There was a uh, man in our church in Florida that always sat in the back of the auditorium, and he always sat with his arms crossed. It always bothered me. 
It, you know, when you cross your when you're talking with someone and you cross your arms, it doesn't always mean this, but it usually means you know I'm standing off from you. I don't really am not. You know, it's kind of rude in certain circumstances. And anyhow, uh, but he let me know how everything that I was doing was wrong and that he didn't agree and so on. And he tried to get others within the church to agree with him, and it didn't work. Our church was mature enough at that time to say, you know, that's not that. And you know what happened? You know what his background was? He would go into a church, cause issues, go to another church and cause issues, and go to another church and cause issues. And his parents did that when he was young. And it just bled over into him believing that if it wasn't a lot of strife within the church, then God, it wasn't really a church. And here this man was almost 65 years old and still believing that. What a shame to go through all his life thinking that strifing is where God is. No, 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 no. Striving together is where God is and His blessing. Here in this passage we see that we are to be of one mind, one accord, and striving together. By the way, this applies to not only the church, it applies to our families. It applies to our marriages too. And it definitely applies with our personal walk with the Lord. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the time we spent this morning. We pray that you'd help us to be striving together, to be of one mind and of one accord. Help us to honor you within the church that your hand may be upon us in our families, in our marriages, in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Jeremy. And it's something that we've been talking about, isn't it, in the last few weeks about being unified and uh, being together and uh, not, not together.